0: Live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Nice to meet you.
1: I'm so excited. Thank you.
0: This is so cool. So for those who are listening, this is Amanda Shore. She's an ADHD advocate. All right. Mama three and an author. Here's her book. I bought it. I'm so excited. ADHD Mm -hmm. Chronicles. 47 years of Extra Explained, and she is going to share something with you that I am sure is going to speak to you or someone you know. So if you hear something in here and you're like, oh my gosh, so-and-so, my friend needs to hear this, share this video with them because Amanda's here just to help more and more people understand, empathize with the whole world of living with ADHD. So um, Amanda, I have a fun random question for you to start. Are you ready for What's something you haven't done in a while that you've done recently that just brings you joy?
1: This kind of thing. Oh seriously, this kind of thing. I I as as a part of my ADHD, I'm coming to realize that it's very, it's very ebb and flow, very cyclical. And I do have a tendency to go inward and to stay inward for a while. And it's it's not a depression. It's just a, it's an introspection. It's a quiet. It's a it's a solitude, and I'm sort of coming out of that now, talking to different people about my book and that kind of thing. And I'm having so much fun. Oh,
0: I know. I'm so excited. I'm so excited
1: to hear. This is going to be great. Okay, so Thank let's you. dive right in. Can you start off by sharing
0: with us a little bit about your journey leading up to your diagnosis of ADHD, which you weren't diagnosed until you are in your 40s, right? Right. Yeah. So what were some of the signs or experiences that made you realize something might be different?
1: So I have always, always, always felt like I was racing, like I was in a race, like I was trying to get too much done in a day, you know, and and um, I, I used to even joke and I don't dare do this anymore because I think it's 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 invalidates the diagnosis. But I used to say, oh, my gosh, I'm so ADD or oh, my gosh, I'm so ADHD because there's the brilliance and then there's, oh, my word, where do I even start? Or, oh, my word, let's let's go let's go conquer the world. And oh, my word, I can't even get out of bed. Um, and I've I've always known that that's not how most people function, that most people are, are just more a little more on an even keel, my husband being prime example of that. Um, And so anyway, I I was diagnosed in high school and college with obsessive compulsive disorder and bipolar. And I'm not saying that those are not there, but I definitely think now the more I'm learning that those are actually results of the main thing all along, which was ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, So then... Fast forward 50 million years, went through an infertility journey, you know, all these things. I wrote a little journal about that. Um, I love to write. So that's, it's just my therapy. Um, And in my early 40s, was just diagnosed with anxiety and put on anxiety medicine. Um, Because my PA, who I saw for years and years and years and absolutely loved, what she could just tell in like my visits with her that I was just, you know, wringing my hands and, and worrying and that kind of thing. And I've always been a very, very um, joyful person. I've always been a very bright side person. And when my third child was born, it just became a lot. It, it just became, we were no longer doing a man-to-man defense. We were doing a two-three zone and it just was a lot. And so anyway, when she diagnosed me with the anxiety and started giving me anxiety meds, I was like, I'm not anxious. I mean, I'm busy. I'm a mom of three. I'm a real estate agent. I have a real estate team. I'm take grandma. I'm spending time with my mama. I'm active in my church, but you know, aren't we all, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I mean, seriously, I was like, this is just what we do. This is what moms do. Plus I'm an older mom. So that I I chalked a lot of it up to that too. I'm 48 and I have a seven-year-old. So I chalked a lot of it up to that. Um, Anyway, one night I'm at home and my My baby boy is in the living room playing, and I started to feel like I was having a heart attack. And anyway, ended up calling ambulance, and I talk about this in the book, ended up calling the ambulance, going to the hospital. The hospital was awesome. They kept me there several days, ran every test ever known to man, um, basically determined that nothing was wrong with me. Um, but I had to follow up with my PA and being the good girl that I was, cause I've always been a rule follower, like big time rule follower. I followed up with my PA and she was like, you're going to therapy. This is just a panic attack. This is a manifestation of your anxiety, whatever, whatever, whatever. And she was like, if you don't go, cause she'd been telling me to go to therapy for a while. And this time she finally was like, if you don't go, I'm not filling your prescriptions anymore. And I was like, wow. Okay. She means business. So made an appointment to see a therapist within an hour of the first visit with that therapist. She just stopped me mid sentence and said, what do you think about ADHD? And I was like, ADHD, I'm not bouncing off the wall. I mean, I'm hyper. Yeah, but I'm not bouncing off the walls. I can sit still. I'm not like those little boys that, you know, are climbing up the cabinets and that kind of thing. Like that's not me. Well, Sure enough, we dove into that and it absolutely, it opened my eyes to so much about my entire life that just finally started making sense. And the more I researched it, and of course, you know, I went to Dr. Google for everything. The more I researched it, I realized that this is a very real thing, that there are so many undiagnosed and misdiagnosed women, especially, Mm. who are feeling crummy about themselves because they know that they're a little different, but they don't know why. They've always been a little extra. They've always been a little loud. They've always been a little um, brilliant. They've always had crazy ideas and they've never been shown that those are actually pretty darn cool. And so I just became really passionate about you know, just trying to get the word out there. And I see a lot of this in two of my kids, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being the mama of a 13 year old daughter, I have two sons and a daughter and I love all my kids like crazy. But for my daughter, I'm her person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm her female role model and I'm her person. And it just became almost like a zealous quest for me to get to the bottom of this, to figure out, okay, how can I help myself so that I can help her? Yeah. And that's where it all came around. Right, That was long. Sorry.
0: No, I loved every second of it. And for those listening or anybody who just joined us, uh, when did you publish your book?
1: Uh, like a month ago. Yeah, a couple of months it ago is right yeah. hot off the press. I
0: love that. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so how did you feel when you received the
1: diagnosis? Well, at first I was like, like I remember I was sitting. I was. It was a Zoom. Our first meeting was a Zoom, and I was sitting at my desk at work. And I remember thinking, "She's fucking crack. Like, what's going on? That this." But I kept going with the conversation because you know I was paying for it. I might as well stay there, whatever. By the end of our very first session, as soon as I got off the phone, I called my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, I finally understand Wow, why I am the way I am.
0: Wow.
1: And we just started talking and we had like a 30, 45 minute conversation and he was blown away by the things that she had said that were such a reflection of me and that were so many things that I had never been able to articulate mm-hmm. But then I knew, it, it's so hard to explain, but he validated it. And he has, my husband is the most amazing man on the planet. He also has a psychology degree. So he kind of knows, knows a lot about stuff. And so as we were talking, he was like, yeah, I, oh I, I didn't, wouldn't have thought it to start with. But the more you're talking about it, it totally makes sense.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So you mentioned writing as a form of therapy. Yes. How did putting your thoughts into words help you understand and cope with the ADHD?
1: So I've always just loved writing in general, even just goofy things like little poems or Mm. song lyrics. Like I love to take song lyrics and change them to a personal situation. Oh my God. That's that's so cute. I love that. (laughs) And so I've always been a big, I've always been a big journaler um, and I was, I was a very emotional child, but I was not comfortable expressing my emotions, and so Ooh. I would fight and fight and fight myself not to to let things come out. I think,
0: I think that's like a generational thing.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I totally think and so. Yeah.
0: Now we're finally helping kids and ourselves be more like in out. tune with it and okay yeah. with give yeah, it and words it, and give it I, a I, I, I totally get. It's huge.
1: Yeah. So I mean, so just from a very young age, I had a diary. I mean, I was the diary girl. It had a little lock. It was so cute. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I always got it. I got a diary every Christmas and I just, that's what I did. And I would pour Mm. my heart out. And even if I would, but this is so funny. Even if I would miss a day, I would go back and write something for that day so that I didn't miss a day, you know, that kind of thing anyway. Mm. And so I've just always, always, always written. Well, then along comes social media and along comes this forum where I can go online and I can write about what's happening with me, my thoughts, my feelings, my family, my job, and get this whole community of people asking questions. And, oh, my gosh, I experienced that same thing, that it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, up until my writing, so to speak, had always been pretty personal, other than when I would make a goofy poem for somebody. But it's just, Mm -hmm. I could sit down course usually by the time what i actually posted was not my original writing because my original writing would typically be like event or rant or something like that but i would yeah. make it nice yeah. and i would make it acceptable as not to like bring shame my family or anything like that and, um, and i would post and i would immediately start getting messages oh my gosh i'm so glad you said that that's exactly how i feel oh my word that same thing happened to me i mean it just it it became it became a I have to put this out there because there's somebody out there that's struggling with this. I thought only one, and if I don't put it out there, they don't have a voice. And so I just got zealous mm-hmm. about it. I love it. And I oh my god, I had a, a psychologist, a friend of mine that's a psychologist. She's a child. Um, I don't know all her initial, all her initials and classifications and all that kind of stuff. But she messaged me one day and she was like. I want to take some of your writings off of Facebook and put them into a brochure for my, for some of my clients. And I was like, wow, what? And that's just kind wow. of the seed that it grew from. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's so helpful. I mean, when we can share our story, it, it opens up and free, it's like a freeing. I, I, I think of it like a key unlocking and setting, mm-hmm. setting someone else free when mm-hmm. you find the freedom to get to the place where you're you you take the risk to share where you think someone might judge you but but the opposite happens and it it just it's like a connector that opens that's well i joke with people
1: they're like oh you're so brave and i'm like no i just talk a lot um but i too believe i've always i very truly believe that everything that we are given we can use for good no matter how horrible it is in the moment or whatever. And so mm-hmm. just like when I was dealing with infertility many years ago, I saw how over the years, God used that to help other people and to help other mm-hmm. women and to give them hope. Yeah. Yes. So, so by the time the ADHD diagnosis rolled around, that was just kind of my thing. Just yeah. just share. And then it just it just naturally evolved. And I have been able, I'm, I'm happy to say that Especially with infertility, with that being such a a thing for us a long time ago, I have been able to help people and I have been able to to counsel people and to give people hope. And I hope and pray I can do the same thing with ADHD, whether it's a parent of a child, a grandparent. I have have a guy that I work with that's a grandparent and he just came up to me one day and he said, you have helped me understand my grandchild so much more. He said, I have so much more patience now than I ever have. And that's what it's about. Yes. Oh my
0: gosh. So let's get on to this other question because I love, love, love what you're saying. And I know you're going to add to it. Um, could you share some insights or strategies you found particularly helpful when, when navigating with ADHD? Like what advice would you give to others who might be facing
1: similar challenges? Understand that it's how you're created, that you may go through periods where you feel sorry for yourself. You get down because of it. You say, Oh Lord, why me? You know, that kind of thing. But you were made this way for a reason and for a season and you have gifts and talents that others don't. And it's okay to embrace that.
0: I love that. I was just reading recently. And that, how- it took me
1: 48 years to get to that point. It took me 48 years to get to that point, to understand that I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's fine. But for the ones that feed off my energy and that love being around me because of my hashtag bright side persona and that kind of thing, that's good and that's okay. And I'm just going to shine.
0: Yeah. And I was just reading recently somewhere where it was saying each of us, our actual voice, our voice is so unique. And as we share it, you have something that is only uniquely you. And that's so beautiful. And if we can get to that point where we can recognize that each of us has something so beautiful, just by showing up, there is that beauty in each of us that can share and impart to the whole that just makes this world an amazing place that it can and continue to be in spite of all that yes. is going on. Yes. I love that. Yeah. As a mother, you mentioned your desire for children to receive support and understanding. How has your own journey with ADHD influenced your approach to parenting and what advice would you give to parents supporting their child with ADHD?
1: Wow. Okay. So there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> my, um, one of my children is very, please, very, wants to know know what's coming, wants to know what's happening, wants to be prepared for all scenarios. Needs to, I'm giving it away by saying she, I remember when she was little, she was like three. And I would say, baby, put the plate, you know, pick up the plate and put it in the cabinet. This plate? Yes, baby. This blue plate? Yes, baby. This plate right here? Yes, baby. Because she was so afraid of messing up. And my awareness and diagnosis, and even back then before my diagnosis and understanding that I was a lot like that too, just made me so much more patient. Wow. When yeah. those things would come. Yes, baby. For the 17th time, that plate. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, no, I'm just saying. It, take it for I'm I didn't gonna, handled it bring right every self. time, but, but just made me so much right. more patient so much more full of grace, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then with another one of my children, understanding with, with him being the youngest and then with my diagnosis, I always knew from about the time that he was 18 months to two years. I I just said to my husband so many times, he's different. There's Mm -hmm. something different. And I didn't mean it negatively, or I just meant he's different. He can't necessarily turn off his tantrum like our other could, he does feel everything to the 20th degree, be it good, be it bad, be it ugly. This is how he's wired. And so when, when my diagnosis came along, that validated so much for him and it made me even more, we're still strict, you know, and that kind of thing, but it made me even more aware that, okay, he truly cannot handle any more in his bucket. His bucket is so full right now that it is seeping over the edges and the child is on sensory overload. And if we don't give him a few quiet minutes, he's going to explode. And I get that now because I live it and I recognize it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if we could, if we could go there, is there something you would say to teachers who have students in their class dealing with this what's what's one word of advice or something you wish or hope teachers would would could help like kind of resource them in this mm-hmm.
1: something that some of my teachers did when I was growing up and I always thought it was they said it was because I was so emotional but something that they did that always really helped me I had several teachers from a very young age who would say Manda just just go to the bathroom or just just go to the water fountain. And they would give me that 30 seconds or minute or whatever to bring myself back down, whether it was, you know, extreme anxiety because I made a ninety-nine instead of a hundred on a spelling test, or you know. Um, getting my feelings hurt extra, extra much when they probably shouldn't have been hurt that much. Mm -hmm. I was a good kid and I was a good student and I was always a teacher's kid. And that really worked in my favor. And I think that I was given some extra grace in -hmm. situations where maybe other kids would have gotten in trouble. Mm -hmm. I absolutely hands down think that that should be something that's just a part of the system, Mm -hmm. that there's like a quiet space or a cool down room or a cool down corner or something. That a child, whether they're crying their eyes out because they're worried about something or they're super mad because somebody's made them so mad or they're, if I don't get some space, I'm going to explode. They can just go there and there's no judgment and they can just hang out a couple of minutes, breathe, and then come out of it. I I think that is hands down the number one thing that educators can do in the classroom, especially.
0: Mm, Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And, and both of your parents were educators and you said mm-hmm. your mom was strict and she was like so set in her ways. And but now you're saying her looking back, what what is she saying now that she wishes she might have done differently?
1: What would she look at now? Doing? And she's like, she's like, baby, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she expected oh excellence God. from everyone, you know. And I remember she did do some things that I think were pretty revolutionary. Like she would say things like, well, I let my my students chew gum because they can concentrate better. Well, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, that wasn't done, you know, and she would wear dangle earrings because she said it helped her students focus more and pay attention. So she did little things without even thinking about it that I, that, that that recognized that I, not everybody should be in a box but she still expected excellence. And that excellence was per the standards. Um, And now- This is how we act. This
0: is how you raise, this is what we do. Now she looks back and she sees
1: that. She sees students out now that, and she'll even say, I was so hard on you, Mm -hmm. you know, all you needed was this or all you needed was this. And it's just an interesting, it's a really interesting conversation. And she even says if she could go back, she would do a lot of things differently. Yeah. Yeah. Now at the same time, a lot of times the kids that did struggle the most with other teachers did, did the best with her because she was so regimented and there was no coming outside that bubble. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Some kids but really But she, she understands now, and especially having grandkids, because grandkids change everything. Um, she definitely understands now that we're not all the same and we're not all the same kind of learner. Some are visual, some are, you know, kinetic, some are auditory, you know, audio learners and that kind of thing. And and she she says if she could go back, she would definitely have a lot of different types of learning as opposed to just, Sit at your desk straight with your pencil and your paper. All do it
0: this way when something's wrong with you, if you can't or you won't. Mm -hmm. So what do you hope the future holds in terms of awareness, support, and understanding for individuals, especially children living with ADHD?
1: So I don't like to use this term because it has a negative connotation, but honestly, I think it needs to be recognized as a true disability. Um, I think that we... In, in the in our world should have let me give an example. as a real estate agent over the years I have I've made good money but I am not wired to manage it the right way. And I honestly feel like there are, accommodations or extra services or support or something like that, that need to be out there to recognize that there's this whole segment of the population that can't just sit down at the end of the month and, and pay the bills and then live on what's left because that's just not how they work. That's not how they function. Um, and that I can't share an office with three other agents. You know, I, I, I can't do that because I'll squirrel and all this and all that. And so I think it starts especially with children that at least from what I've seen, and I do think the tide is changing, but at least from, my, from what I've seen, it's not seen as such a negative. Oh, we've got to calm him down or, oh, she's so spacey. It's what can we do to embrace that about them and turn that into something that is a force for positive change? Because let me tell you. There's nothing spacey in this head. This head is full of thoughts. There is nothing spacey here. But because I'm often and girls do that, I see this with women. I know I'm stereotyping, but there's Mel Robbins said with with males, ADHD is more external, and with females it's more internal. And I that so resonated with me because our minds are going ninety miles an hour. We're not necessarily climbing up the walls, you know, and that kind of thing. But we can't we can't fit in a coherent thought because we have so many thoughts swirling in our heads. Yeah. Um, And I just want that to be seen as, okay. let's take let's take Amanda and let's talk with her and help her give words to
0: Mm.
1: how she's feeling, what's going on in her mind. And let's see what kind of path we can perhaps Direct for her—that's going to play up to these things instead of trying to squash them and make her like everybody else.
0: I love it. Or you, then you get dubbed the bad kid,
1: right? And or the hyper kid, or the loud kid, it, or the I, Mine it. was always "you're so random." Yeah, I am, and now I know why. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and people would people would say that like it was a horrible thing. Well, that's also one of the reasons why people love to hang out with me because I'm fun and I'm funny and I can put a positive spin on anything and I can see through to the meat of the matter in a hot second. And that, why is that bad? It's not.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. So what misconceptions Finish us with a misconception that you think exists about ADHD and maybe how you hope your book might contribute to dispelling one of those myths.
1: So one of the, the misconceptions that I'm starting to see now is just that, oh, that's the new diagnosis.
0: Oh, yeah. you see, or, yeah. Oh, that's the new thing. We were talking about this earlier. And that
1: drives me crazy. No, it's not new. It's just finally being recognized and finally being addressed and finally yeah. being validated. It's been there all along. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about it
0: and we're mm-hmm. trying to
1: figure out, okay, how can we help the next generation so that mm-hmm. they don't spend the first 46 years of their lives trying to fit a mold that they were never intended to be a part of? Right. And I'm real passionate talking about that. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And other thing is just, it's not the same for everybody. It doesn't manifest the same person to person to person. And you may be off the charts ADHD, and we may have this much in common, but we're still both clinically correctly diagnosed ADHD. Mm -hmm. So there's just, there's so much, there's so many nuances and so much um, variation in the different Mm -hmm. ways that it, that it manifests. And I, I wish that people saw that. I wish that people understood that and recognize that. And instead of just assuming, oh, she's, you know, she's just trying to get attention or, oh, he's just, he's just, oh boy, he's got too much energy. Well, he, you know, whatever, just saying, no, that's, that's mm. their extra. And this is their extra. And let's figure out how to make it work.
0: And we don't, we don't, we, we miss what people are internalizing because we have it off and we haven't truly given it the space to say this is what it is and the place. So I think we have, we, you know, there's so much going on, like you said, like inside here. I mean, all the therapy that people need because of what they were told and what they think about themselves, that, that is completely off because of what you found and what you saw and now what, what has like come full circle makes sense. So yes. Well, what people what don't get is that
1: if, if that. we are told, you know, all children hear something negative at some point, <laughs> but for those kids with ADHD and other things, it ingrains a little deeper mm. and it's even heavier baggage for mm. us to carry around. And that's one thing I'm working through with my therapist right now is still carrying around baggage from, you know, the one percent that I heard negative versus the ninety nine percent positive, yeah. I cling to the negative. Yeah, that's I know how I'm wired. My brain is all or nothing. And when it when it when it sets on something, that's oh, yeah. what it sets on. That's such a good
0: point. That's such a good point. Such a great revelation. Well, I have enjoyed every moment of this. We're gonna have to come back on and do this again. Okay. I know
1: I rambled a lot. I'm sorry.
0: No, I loved it. No, no, I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. No, and I want to. I want to come back on and talk again because someone's going to listen to this. They're going to listen to it now, and then people are going to see and hear it. And at another stage, let's come back on. We'll do like an Instagram live or something fun like that.
1: Okay, I would love um, that.
0: And how can someone find and follow you before we go?
1: So I am on Facebook as just Amanda Keyshore, K-E-Y. Um, my kids say that I'm old because I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Amanda Keyshore, um, and then TikTok. Oh gosh, my TikTok name is weird. It's <laughs> no, how, it's, what is it? it's Amanda you- with ADHD in the middle. Shore underscore real tour. Um, I should have I should have written that down so that I could tell you better. But just look up Amanda Keyshore, and if if all else fails, look up Amanda Shore Real Estate Agent, and you'll find me.
0: That's awesome. And then then I can
1: direct you where
0: you need to go. Thank you so much, Amanda. I cannot wait to do this again soon. You're welcome. I hope we do. That's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.